What's going on? Go to hell. Go to Health, brought to you by The Masterson Plan. This call-in show is hosted by a certified holistic health coach with a love for strong language. So if you've got kids in the car, you might want to grab some headphones. The content of this podcast is strictly the opinion of health coach Galadriel Masterson and is for inspiration, information, and educational purposes only. This content is not a diagnosis or treatment and does not take the place of medical advice from your doctor. I'm so excited to be back in the studio recording the final episode of season one of Go to Health. We've got a caller on the line. Caller, what is your name and what is your question for your health coach? Uh, hi there. My name is Elliot. And uh, my question is, I did the uh, whole thing. 30 diet um, kind of recently. And one thing that I noticed that um, I didn't really expect was that my joints felt amazing. They felt like limber and strong, and I didn't even know they were stiff before that. Um, But um, what I was wondering is, what of the things that um, you have to abstain from when you're doing Whole30 is like the bad guy when it comes to joints and how they feel? Good question, especially because, you know, a lot of people like to begin the new year by doing Whole30, so right on target. Well, congrats on doing Whole30. What a gift to your health. Before we jump in, um, why don't we define what Whole30 is to the gorgeous Go to Health listeners in case people don't know. Um, So listeners, it means that for 30 days, you essentially eliminate all forms of food that could even possibly be considered as an inflammatory food for the body. So, you know, the obvious ones we all know about are sugar, flour, and processed foods. And the ones that maybe some people don't know about as inflammatory are dairy, beans, nuts, all grains, which includes corn. So, Elliot, why don't you tell us why did you decide to do the Whole30 diet? Well, I'd heard a lot of really great things about it from uh, friends who had done it, like that it kind of had this effect of kind of deflating you and shrinking you and making you feel kind of like tighter and fitter. Um, And also that it perked up your energy a lot, like especially in like the afternoon, say like you, you, I heard people say that they got rid of that afternoon slump in their lives, Mm. which um, was something I was looking for. So that's why, that's why I did it to begin with. Amazing. Um, And I mean, who doesn't want to feel toned and perky? Sign me up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So how would you, um, Elliot, describe your joints before Whole30? You mentioned, hey, I didn't even realize that they were stiff. Do do you have a concept of how they felt pre-Whole30? Sure. I mean, you know, I actually had also started doing more like heavier weight lifting. Um, and I suppose that I, you know, had kind of begun to notice, like I just, you know, I passed 40 and like that maybe I wasn't as kind of limber as I had been maybe five or 10 years before. Yeah. But you know what? I actually wouldn't say that I was like struggling with that at all. I didn't particularly notice this problem until that they were maybe a little stiffer than they had been. Um, until that changed, you know, yeah. with the, with the diet. So, so, you know, and, and now that I, I'm not on whole 30 now, it's been, it's been a little while. I, you know, I, I 
don't feel as great, right? Like as I did um, when I was on Whole30 um, right now. That leads to my next question. What parts, if any, did you bring forward into your current life from Whole30? Well, I I was always gluten-free beforehand. You know, one of the main things I brought forward is I have a very very much like Whole30 uh, breakfast every day still. Like I have eggs every day. I have like basically eggs and fruit and vegetables for breakfast. I don't have like cereal and toast and stuff anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a great breakfast and I, I don't have, you know, I mean, I remember the, the slumps are, are now actually a distant memory. Those, I feel like that has everything to do with breakfast for some reason. And so that's, that's certainly one thing that I've, I've brought forward and, and just generally, um, I probably eat like a 10th of the dairy I used to, Amazing. I just discovered I didn't care about these things, really. and <laughs> They were, like, not really helping me. So, yeah, I brought sort of just a couple of those habits forward that um, were sort of changed by Whole30. Yeah. And before we jump into answering your question, if you don't mind, just for our listening audience, will you tell them and me, what was the hardest part of Whole30 for you? The hardest part of Whole30 is probably... I want to say like the social aspect of it, because of course you can't drink alcohol. Um, and of course many people don't drink alcohol, but I was, you know, I do drink alcohol. Um, and you know, so in, with not being able to drink and then with having this sort of like restricted diet it can be kind of hard to like socialize, you know, you sort of like, I'm glad that I'm in like a couple. <laughs> I, um, you know, that, that was sort of maybe, yeah, maybe the, the hardest part. Cool. Um, yeah. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Before we go, sorry. You said um, when you meant when you talked about Whole Thirty, you said nuts, but you can have nuts on Whole Thirty. Is it just, just peanuts not... and soy nuts? Yeah. Okay, my bad. Right. Thank you. See, health coaches don't fucking know everything. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that for myself and other people that are listening. As a health coach, I I don't diagnose or treat illness, but I do help people put together all the pieces of their very unique puzzle, which largely includes sim- symptoms to understand what the what makes the body happy and what does not. So, putting together your puzzle, I'm going to guess your body doesn't like either dairy or lectins or both as those were removed from whole 30. Do you know what lectins are? That was what I was just going to ask you now. What are lectins exactly? So lectins, they're like a a large family of proteins that for some people, not all, for some, create overall inflammation that can manifest anywhere in the body from, you know, puffy eyelids to aching joints. So let's talk about what falls into the lectin category. It's beans of all kind, grains of all kind, many nuts, Eggplant, tomato, potatoes, peppers, that, that makes up like the very basic list. And then for some people, it would even include veggies that come with a seed, such as the cucumber. Your lectins got removed when you did Whole30. And the other thing that got removed was dairy. And, you know, when I say dairy, I don't mean eggs. I mean cheese, yogurt, sour cream, ice cream, all that good stuff. It can be insanely inflammatory. Dairy is considered to have a very similar molecular structure to gluten, which is 
quite literally one of the most inflammatory foods that us humans can consume. And you mentioned that you are gluten-free. So I'm wondering if your, your inflammation went down when you took away something that has a very similar molecular structure to gluten, a.k.a. dairy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you, you know, being that you probably don't want to live whole 30 all 12 months of the year, the way that you could find out which, you know, who was your friend and who was your enemy there would be to do a refined version of Whole30. So do a month of no lectins, but go ahead and eat dairy. Then do a month of no dairy, but go ahead and eat lectins and see what your body communicates to you over the course of those two months, because it will be clear. Right. Yeah. Is that something that you would take on? I think I could actually. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm also interested in what you said about beans and stuff because I don't have a I have a very uneasy relationship with beans. I'm just going to tell you. So <laughs> that could be that could and be part of it. uneasy relationship. Do you mean you fart? <laughs> Some sometimes with beans, I do. Seriously, yes. Yeah. And then the other legumes too, like. Um, Especially lentils. I don't get along with lentils so well. Yeah, I love that recommendation, though. I, th- I think it would be, I think I'd probably start with dairy because, well, if I were to start today, <laughs> yeah, um, I would have to uh, find, I would have to look into the um, lectins a little bit more and kind of figure out what, what all I'm eating that has those. Because um, certainly I'm eating like tomatoes and peppers, plenty, um, and eggplant for sure. Yeah. Is that the, what you call like the nightshades? Is that nightshades? It includes, the lectins includes the nightshades, you know, which is interesting because people with inflammatory health challenges, such as Lyme's disease, IBS, or arthritis, they find that they do really, really, really well when they go paleo. They see this huge reduction in inflammation symptoms, which, you know, that just increases the overall quality of life, not to mention you look cute. So have you heard of the paleo diet, Elliot? Yes. The paleo diet is everything under the sun except dairy, grains, corn, beans, refined sugar, refined oil, processed food, and plug your ears, Elliot, booze. (laughs) So that leaves you with all the veggies, all the fruit, all the meat, all the seafood, all the eggs, all the nuts, all the seeds, avocado, olive oil, honey, and maple syrup that you could possibly want to enjoy. It's sometimes called the caveman diet because it's all the stuff that you could hunt or gather, and it takes away all of the inflammatory food. So as I mentioned, people that have any kind of autoimmune or inflammatory condition, they find going paleo is like amazing. And they're totally picking out and eating great food. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. know, and I think there's a little room to be a human in, in everything. And if you decided that was something you want to take on, you'd be like, yeah, I'm paleo. But on Friday and Saturday nights, I'm having a gorgeous cocktail. you know paleo the rest of the time um and see how your body feels about that yeah yeah yes so i would love to see you um to go ahead and test drive those two concepts dairy and lectins and 
to see how they work for you. And and again, just to reiterate, what I think is so interesting is you you do have a sensitivity to gluten. And there we know that dairy is so close to gluten um, on a molecule level. But then you also mentioned, yeah, I do have these problems with some of those foods you mentioned on the lectins list. And we know mm-hmm. that they can cause inflammation in some people. So if you decide to eliminate them one at a time for 30 days each while eating the other, so no dairy, but eat your lectins. Okay. Now, no lectins, but eat your dairy, each getting a month. Please direct message me on Instagram at the Masterson Plan and let me know how it's going. And let me know if you have questions. I would love to support you in that way if you decide to take that little experiment on. Okay, great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, I think I will, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Yeah, and hopefully you've inspired some other people today to test drive Whole30. It's a a great way to start the year or to clean up after the holidays or before a big event when you know, like you said, you just want to feel perky and cute and energetic. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much for um, your advice. This is great. Thank you so much. And have a gorgeous rest of your day. We really appreciate you calling Go to Health, Elliot. Go to health. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Go to health. Okay, we have a caller on Go to Health. Caller, what is your name and what is your question for a health coach? Hi, I'm Charity, and um, my question for a health coach is actually around emotional eating. Um, Emotional eating is something that I have struggled with for a long time, and even though I've identified some of the triggers and adapted with some coping mechanisms around emotional eating, I found that the more I try to limit it, um, the more severe it is when it actually does get out. So um, I'm wondering if you have some techniques for... um, coping with that that are more managerial rather than um, trying to exile this behavior altogether? This is an awesome question. And I would say about 90% of the people that work with me one-on-one have some sort of emotional or disordered uh, relationship with food. I think so many people can relate to hearing what you just said. So, but for people listening, I just want to clarify for them Um, what the difference is between emotional hunger and physical hunger. So for our listeners, physical hunger, it comes on gradually. It can be satisfied with any type of food. And once you're full, you stop eating. And it causes satisfaction, not guilt. Whereas emotional hunger or emotional eating usually comes on suddenly and it feels very urgent. It comes with specific cravings like pizza, chocolate, cookies, cheese. Um, Typically, you would eat more than you normally would and will probably feel uncomfortably full. And it leaves you feeling things like guilt or shame, which is horrible to feel. None of us want to feel that way. So, Charity, being that you have identified yourself as an emotional eater, is there anything that I've left out that you would like to add on to this definition for the purpose of clarifying it for the people who are listening to this podcast? I think your I think your description of it as I it matches my experience very well. Um, I can't think of anything that I would necessarily add on. It certainly does come on abruptly, um, and it's a it it. It is, as I hear you explain it, I can certainly understand the difference in my felt experiences of when it's emotional and when I'm actually hungry. That's awesome. That's a huge step right there. 
Congratulations. Um, So, you know, it's thought that whatever we resist will persist. So why don't we together right now in this call just fully welcome in this part that uses food to suppress emotions so we can find out what it actually needs. So we know that emotional hunger, it isn't caused by food. Therefore, it can't be fixed by food. So the first step is, um, you know, to taming the emotions is to name the emotions. So what are we talking about here for you, Charity? What are the emotions that are, are causing the eating and looking to be suppressed? Is it anxiety, loneliness, anger, something else? I think a lot of the time, I, and I really noticed this coming up even, even as you said some of those powerful words, um, that I think a lot of the time it has to do with self-doubt mm. or um, imposter complex types of feelings, maybe around my work or around even parts of my personal life. Um, but at the core, some sort of um, self-esteem and or that um, you know how I how I value myself, self-esteem. We had to name it, um, you know, uh, you know, pr- probably it's in that vein. I don't know if you have any other descriptors that might help me get more clear, but. I love what you just said. So many people can relate to that. I myself can relate to that. Here I am recording a podcast on a Sunday and I'm like, oh my God, but what if I don't know all the information that I need to know for the caller? And, you know, I begin that self-doubt cycle and then, um, yes. you know, that affects your self-esteem and. You know, I have techniques to quickly banish that because that's a downward spiral. But I relate, as many others can relate, I think, to what you just described as the emotion that leads your emotional eating. So the next step is to take care of those emotions. You described self-doubt, like the feeling of being an imposter, and, you know, maybe like some low self-esteem. Because we all know that chocolate ice cream— or a glass of red wine might work for half an hour. Shit, that might even work for a couple of hours. But sadly, the the emotions will be right there waiting for us once the chocolate ice cream and the wine are gone. So why don't you and I do a little work here? Um, First, tell us, what is your food of choice to soothe or stuff the self-doubt, the imposter feelings, and the the self-esteem stuff? Well, honestly, it changed here in Vermont. It changes seasonally. So when the weather now, right now, like when the weather starts to get cold, it's hot food that's really carb laden, like Indian takeout food with like over white rice or like chicken and biscuits, like soul food, comfort food, hot yeah. stuff right now. And yeah. you know, nothing you listed sounds too insane. It's not like you said, well, I begin by crushing up a bag of Doritos on top of a funfetti cake. And then I have it with a bottle of vodka. You know, you listed some real foods. We can picture where the origin of them was grown, swam, or raised. Is it for you the amount that you eat? No, it's actually really not. It's very much the tactile. Um, uh, you know, it's very, it's very much the. It's qualitative. It's not quantitative. I guess. Okay. All right. So if. If self-doubt, let's just say, is what's really on the table, and we know that um, chicken and biscuits can't cure self-doubt, what is it that you actually really need in those moments? Probably, probably affirmation. You know, I, 
I, I feel like it needs to come, in, you know, internally rather than externally, even though it's just very, I know it's very easy to seek that externally. You know, I need to, I need to find a way to, to believe that I am, you know, good at what I am trying to do or that I can succeed at this new thing that I've started. Yeah. So what you need for real in those moments of self-doubt is some form of affirmation, but instead you're turning to, let's say, uh, chicken and biscuits. So my question is, can chicken and biscuits provide affirmation? Certainly not. No. Fuck. <laughs> We're all fucked. <laughs> if chicken and biscuits could provide affirmation, this world would be a much happier place. But unfortunately, <laughs> food just can't do that for us. So what can provide affirmation for you? For me, for me. Um, well, I think it does get a little complicated for me because sometimes it, it, a lot of the affirmation around, you know, my work stuff does come external. Um, yeah. you know, so, and it's variable. So, um, so what can bring affirmation? I think maybe like revisiting parts of my work that are concrete that I'm proud of, um, you know, or I'm just thinking through what else, um, you know, thinking about client relationships that I know are really successful mm -hmm. or people who people who've left, um, you know, left the work with me and had resolution around what we worked on together. So I'm really glad you just gave this answer because you just listed something else that's external and clients can come and go. Um, business can come and go. And that, therefore, would continue to affect um, self-doubt and self-esteem. So in regards to needing affirmation, instead of getting it from an outside source, such as clients or business, how can you provide that affirmation for yourself, even if you were like um, Tom Hanks and Castaway and you were totally alone on an island? So there are no, there's nothing external, just you. How would you provide that affirmation for yourself? Maybe by doing some reflective writing, um, like a letter to my younger self or a letter to my doubting self, something like that perhaps would That's be maybe. major. You know, um, when the craving comes on suddenly and quickly, as we talked about with emotional eating, there might not be time to sit down and write a letter because you're going to need that, you know, carb-laden deliciousness right then and there. Um, is there something you could say to yourself that's extremely affirmational to provide that, um, that really high self-esteem, to erase the self-doubt, to let yourself know you're not a fucking imposter. You're, fo you're for real. Right. <laughs> um, what could I say to myself? Um, uh, maybe... Maybe that I have, I have done a lifetime of work in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. I've, do you want to know what I say to myself? What do you what, what do you say to yourself? Bitch, you got this. You got this. Yeah. Simple. I like it. Because yeah. it's like that negative voice just has to be interrupted. Bitch, you got this. You know your shit. Now just get in there and share your shit with other people because other people need this stuff. That's what I say to myself. And if yeah. they don't need it, they don't have to listen to my podcast. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So, yes, Charity. I, I like that. And I, 
Yeah. Takes me two seconds. Go ahead. I didn't, you know, I love the idea of sitting yeah. down and writing a letter to the younger self, but that's going to take some time. Saying, bitch, you right. got this it's takes not- me two seconds. Right, right. It's always available in the moment. <laughs> yes, it's always available. It's the great interrupter. Um, so, yeah, Charity, myself. when I work with uh, my one-on-one clients who have, the, who have emotional eating, I make sure that they know that this habit was probably formed in childhood. So typically, this habit is anywhere from 10 to 50 years old, depending on the age of my client. So I don't want to pretend with you or with anyone listening right now that we're going to solve this very old habit of yours of emotional eating today just in this call. Um, Because, you know, habits take a lot of time to form and they take even longer to understand, to break and replace. But the cool thing is you've already have an understanding of this part. So you've already begun the journey. Um. But let's just talk about like some short answer stuff just to get the ball rolling even a little more since you're already in the understanding place. So, you know, my my approach with emotional eating is no diets, none, no diets, because emotional eating, it's not about food and it's not going to be solved with dieting. The issue, it's not a physical one. It's an emotional one. So, you know, naming the quote-unquote hungry emotion is the first step, and you just did it in this call. Yeah, yeah. But I do suggest getting the the drug of choice foods out of the house and replacing them with healthier versions so you never feel like you're in deprivation or punishment mode. Now, some people listening, they're like, okay, yeah, I could get the Doritos out. You know, I could get the chocolate out. But for you, the... The tricky, cunning part of your emotional eating is it's actually real food. <laughs> right. It's that not processed <laughs> bullshit, Franken-food. You know, you didn't say it's a dozen donuts. You said it's carb-laden Indian food. So, um, you know, every single time emotional eating wants to strike, it has to be asked this question. And this is the big one right here. So I, I want you to hear this. I want everyone who's listening who this call is resonating with, I want them to really hear this. Every time emotional eating strikes, the question you have to ask is, what do I really need? And then the follow-up question is, can food do that? Right. So, right. you know, what you really need is, at moments, a boost in self-esteem. Now, as delicious as Indian food is, we know that Indian food doesn't boost our self-esteem. So, what do I really need? Can food do that? And then, what do you really need? That's where you have to take care of it internally with nothing external. Like, you know, you were talking about success at work as an external way to feel better. But... It all has to be internal. It's that internal monologue. Bitch, you got this. So my other big thing with uh, emotional eating, and this is really tough, is eat when you are hungry, stop when you are full. Do you, do you find that you, are, you stop when you are full? I'm, I think I stop a little later than full, but not excessively. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't stuff myself to dis- the point of discomfort, but I often wish I had stopped a few minutes earlier, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, and then my final tip is to read anything you can possibly find or listen to anything you can possibly find by Janine Roth. She is the uh, the leading educator. Ed, pardon me the leading educator on emotional eating that I have encountered so far in my studies. Okay, great. Yeah. So just to recap, with emotional eating, it's not caused by food. It's caused by feelings. Feelings are asked to be suppressed or go away or something. So what do I really need? And can food do that? So on my way to my podcast today, what I needed was confidence. And there's nothing I could put in my mouth that would give me confidence, but my internal monologue gave me confidence. So it was nothing external. I didn't call a friend who makes me feel really funny and smart, you know, because that's external. I just talked to myself like a crazy person, and it worked. <laughs> so I invite you to start talking to yourself like a crazy person. Okay. Yeah. Will do. Will do. <laughs> Charity, thank you so much for calling in today and asking a question about emotional eating. It's a topic we don't talk about enough out loud and with each other. And I'm just so hoping that there are a lot of other people listening to this podcast that this really shook them up, rattled them. They felt very identified with you, Charity. I hope so, too. It's, it's kind of painful and, and private and, and hard to talk about a little yeah. bit. But I, I really appreciate your insight and and um, and your wisdom around this. Thank you. And thank you so much for calling Go to Health. All right. All right. Thank you. What's going on? Go to health. I'm sure a lot of you who listened today to Elliot, you've heard of the Whole30 diet. A lot of people love to do it in January just to really start the year on a strong foot. Buy the book. It is so great. It's full of recipes and it is straight talk. One of the things I love in the book is they say like, listen, doing 30 days without sugar is not hard. Climbing a mountain is hard. Losing a loved one is hard. Childbirth is hard. Come on, you can do this. I love that perspective. Last year, I must have made that chicken cacciatore recipe that they have in the Whole30 cookbook at least like 24 times. It is so good. And for those of you that could really relate to charity today, which I bet a lot of you do, I want you to Google Janine Roth. Buy any book of hers that appeals to you if you can find a podcast, anywhere, any way you can find Janine Roth, get her in your life. Janine Roth is a writer and an educator, and she is the leader in this country on the relationship between food and emotions. And she knows what the hell she's talking about. And of course, the links to both of these will be in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, Go to Health. Once again, I'm Galadriel Masterson. I'm a certified holistic health and lifestyle coach. Health is my absolute favorite topic, and I would love to discuss it with you, either one-on-one -on -one working with me, or be a caller here on the show, or just follow me on Facebook or Instagram. My website is www.themastersonplan.com. Both Instagram and Facebook are at The Masterson Plan. And please, rate and review this show on iTunes. 
This podcast was produced by the team at DSRA Podcast. You can find them at www.dsrapodcast.com. The music for the show was created by the one and only Rick Rideau. The photo was done by the incredible Guy Furrow, a.k.a. Miss Guy. And the logo was created by the lovely Donica Underhill. Once again, I'm Galadriel Masterson. This is Go to Health, and you, my friends, can go to health.